0: Welcome to this edition of the Spartan News. I'm Army Master Sergeant Thomas Wheeler and I'll be your host. Today's edition continues with coverage of Task Force Spartan Shield's response to COVID-19. Our guests for this edition are Major Julie Valenza, a physician's assistant who leads Task Force Spartan Clinical Operations, and Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Roth, Operations Officer for the Task Force's COVID-19 Response Team. Thank you both for joining us today. So let's start with you, Major Valenza. Again, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me here.
0: As we spoke earlier, we've been asking soldiers, or I should say soldiers have been asking us questions um, concerning COVID-19. And one of those questions um, is, well, what is COVID-19? Can you answer that for us, please?
1: So COVID-19 is a coronavirus, which is a a family of viruses. Um, First noticed in Wuhan, China in 2019, um, originally noted, uh, thought to be caused by transmission from an animal, a bat. And so initially it was thought that it was just transmitted from animals to humans, but many, many people began to get sick, and so it was quickly recognized that it is spread from person to person. So coronavirus is actually not a new virus, although this particular one is called the novel coronavirus. This one um, is, is new, and it's very, very infectious, but we're kind of familiar with coronaviruses just because a few strains of coronavirus are are the cause of the common cold. So, people in the medical field think coronavirus. Oh, they must have a bad cold. Until a few years ago, coronavirus was also the cause of the SARS epidemic mm-hmm. in um, 2003, and then again in 2012, the MERS-CoV um, was also uh, noted um, to be originating in an animal. So the the MERS CoV in Saudi Arabia in 2012 originated in camels. So camel farmers were getting sick, very, very sick. Um, And so those strains of the virus have actually been studied very extensively. So when this started to appear, we already had a lot of information about it, but there's still so much to learn. So the virus itself can cause symptoms such as fever muscle aches, um, trouble breathing, which can lead to pneumonia. Um, also, more recently, the CDC has added a few other symptoms that are pretty consistent with this infection. And that those symptoms are sore throat, loss of sense of taste or smell. And also, a lot of people have been showing symptoms of um, nausea and diarrhea, mm-hmm. so those are those are concerning as well. About the course of COVID, usually the symptoms will appear at about day four or day five, but they can take up to fourteen days to 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 appear for people to recognize that they have something wrong with them. So the reason that it's very concerning is that for fourteen days, someone can have no symptoms, but still be shedding the virus, harboring the virus and sharing the virus with other people.
0: Ma'am, how about we take a question from one of the task force Spartan soldiers? Hi, my name is John Badrisky. my friends call me Ski. How does COVID-19 spread?
1: Excellent question. It is spread through respiratory droplets. So any, um, any droplets from us sneezing or coughing or even talking can get into the air and then they land on a person, and they can get them into their nose, they can breathe in the droplets, they can land in their mouths, or even on a surface. So once these droplets are in someone's body, either by touching a surface where the droplets have have fallen, and then touching our face or rubbing our eyes, that's how we become infected with the virus.
0: Ma'am, let's take uh, one last question from a soldier.
1: How's it going? My name is Staff Sergeant Tychon Tibbs. I'm in a 40-second ID. And my question is, what is the best way to protect ourselves against COVID? So the best way to protect ourselves is to not be exposed to someone who's sick. So there are so many ways to do that now. Uh, The first thing that we're doing is keeping our distance. At home, everyone's been told to stay home. But here in this environment, we can't stay home, but we can maintain our distance as much as possible. So we're really told that since droplets, the air droplets can travel for up to six feet, beyond six feet, we should really maintain that distance between each other. Also, um, we have to wash our hands often. So we know that since the the virus lives on surfaces for up to three days, that we should be cleaning surfaces often Um, and with a good decent disinfectant, cleaning our hands, washing our hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. And of course, if we don't have soap and water, at least using hand sanitizer anytime we've touched something or anytime we're going to put our hands near our faces, very important to have clean, clean hands so we don't unintentionally infect ourselves Um,
0: disinfecting our work areas
1: disinfecting our work areas and very important our phones we carry our phones around all day so disinfecting our phones um, our work areas common places like doorknobs and um you know light switches Mm -hmm computer, keyboards, anything that somebody else is gonna, that could possibly have touched, you wanna clean that before you touch it. And now um, guidance put out by the Secretary of Defense is Mm -hmm. to cover our faces with a cloth. Originally, people were asked to cover their faces with a cloth mask Mm -hmm. um, because we didn't know if we were sick. We didn't know if we were harboring the virus. So to protect other people from getting sick, They asked us to cover our mouths uh, and noses, cover our face, and now um, the guidance is for anyone who's not able to maintain that six foot distance between each other, they really are recommending that we cover our faces. Although, having said that, the caveat is we are not to be wearing surgical masks. That is a no-no. Surgical masks are in such short supply, the healthcare workers need to have them available. They are the soldiers fighting this fight right now, so they need to have the equipment to protect themselves from getting sick. So the recommendation is yes to cover our faces, our mouths and noses, but not with surgical grade masks.
0: Leave those for the first responders that really need them.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And our final question, um, and perhaps one of the most important questions. Where can soldiers go and get the most detailed and accurate information concerning COVID-19?
1: Right. So the Centers for Disease Control has a great website. There's actually a new uh, publication that they put out. It's called the COVID View, and it's a weekly publication. And it, it kind of recaps everything from the week and gives great information. Not only that, but they have daily updates on their website. So CDC or coronavirus.gov, a wealth of information. And that's really what we're following um, for our best practice. And so that's that's where we want to direct people to go. You know, you're going to hear a lot on the news, you're going to you can look anything up on the internet, but to get the best information that's true, we recommend going to the CDC website.
0: Well, thank you, ma'am, for, for um, joining us today. Um, we appreciate it greatly. Um, your wealth of knowledge as usual. Um, oh. Kind of our go-to person when we have clinical questions and whatnot. Well, thank uh, you. So this probably won't be the last time we talk.
1: Well, call me back. Right. Well,
0: thank Absolutely, you
1: thank appreciate you. It. Thanks for having me.
0: So now we turn our attention to Lieutenant Colonel Roth so he can shed some light on the behind the scenes planning and management of the Task Force Spartan COVID-19 response. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day, sir, to be with us. So let's start with roles and responsibilities. What do the duties and responsibilities of the COVID operations officer entail?
2: Uh, What it entails is uh, coordinating uh, a number of different response elements across our area of operations, which includes uh, Egypt, Jordan, Kuwait, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, as well as Qatar, and coordinating response options across all of those, uh, the different installations that the Army has in each of those locations.
0: And sir, can you briefly tell us what your role in this response is?
2: Sure, I run what's called the emergency operations center which we stood up two weeks ago uh, that consolidates all of the information flow from each of those installations up to uh, our higher headquarters which is called Army Central Command. Uh, And what we do is consolidate that information. We work with each of the installations across the area of operations to understand if they're having issues, if they have support requests, uh, understanding what guidelines and and policies and procedures they put in place to triage uh, patients that may be symptomatic, uh, take care of our service members, establish guidelines for classes of supply, and those sorts of things to make sure we're all on the same page and, and understand what's going on across the uh, the entire area. So, sir, why is it so
0: important to have that level of coordination and to have it all in one centralized location?
2: Uh, for a variety of reasons. Number one, we can create a common picture for our boss, which is uh, General Ferrari, who's the task force Spartan commander. Uh, so he can know what's going across, on across all of these installations to say, hey, if, there's a, uh, if we're putting different policies and procedures in place across the AO, is that why? Why are we doing that? Do we need to standardize it? Uh, and if there are support requests, there may be uh, an incident occurring at one location and we've got resources at another where we can cross-level those sorts of things. Uh, and by painting that picture, we can help enable his decision-making on it.
0: Sir, please tell us what your biggest day-to-day struggle is when it comes to the operation cell.
2: I think it's managing the inflow of information. So we oversee uh, nearly 30,000 DOD personnel in our area. Uh, Each have questions and and issues uh, across these different installations that we're overseeing. So we have a lot of information that's coming at us. And we also have a lot of people asking for information. So it's pulling in that information, trying to build some understanding off it to enable decision makers to action the right things at the right times in the right way. Um, and, And ensuring that we know at any given moment, what's the most critical item out there that needs to be actioned?
0: Since this all began, what has been your team's biggest accomplishment?
2: Uh, a number of things. I think as we've learned, you know, none of us came into this having a full understanding of flu pandemic or COVID or any of that. So I think standing up a team. Uh, very quickly we got the order uh, in the morning and we had our emergency operations center stood up that within two hours uh, making phone calls consolidating information Uh, we've established streamlines for pushing information so we've got standardized reports Uh, we have a handle and a a sense for what's going on on each of our installations across our entire area and I think we've done a really good job of painting that picture for our commander to make timely decisions um, on on guidelines protocols, things of that nature, and very proud of the fact that we have done a very good job of protecting our service members on our installations from this, from this threat.
0: Sir, as National Guard, how are we uniquely qualified to spearhead this operation?
2: Sure. I think, you know, with the National Guard, what you find is you have uh, on your staff professionals who both have military experience as well as a a wealth of experience from their civilian side. Uh, For example, I have a city operations background in New York City, uh, and a number of folks on our staff have uh, experienced uh, during uh, Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy in New York City providing response across the entire state of New York. So we all have some element of emergency emergency response in our background that we can bring to bear on this particular threat. Uh, so we do bring that, that experience and that knowledge and that know-how. And, and while the COVID threat uh, is a little different in terms of, of how we deal with it and action it, what is similar is how we set up policies and procedures and operations that, that support that decision-making to, to tackle it. Sir, is there
0: anything you would like to add that we haven't already discussed?
2: Yeah, I, this, is, this is a serious threat. Uh, it is very dangerous. We have to take it seriously. Uh, I think our soldiers uh, need to understand that uh, to protect themselves, to protect their teams, protect one another. And uh, they should know that their decision makers are doing everything they can to understand it and to take action before there is a bigger problem.
0: Thank you for shedding light on what goes on behind the scenes. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Spartan News. Thank you to our guests for joining us and special thanks to you, our audience, for tuning in. Remember to wash your hands and maintain social distancing, but if you can't, make sure you wear a mask. And remember, we're all in this together.